Hello and welcome to a new season of If My Feet Could Talk, the podcast where we talk about everything, life in general, um, sport, especially running. And we we just mention where our feet have gone on amazing journeys and adventures in our lives, where our feet take us. You know, we have been on, just in life itself, we have been on such amazing adventures. Um, and sometimes you don't even realise it uh, until you talk about it. So, obviously it's a new season. All previous seasons are still available on all podcasts and season two onwards is available on YouTube. So, let's have a little catch up with myself before I bring my next guest on. What have I been up to since September? Well, I'm still run streaking and going strong. I'm on day 580 today of recording. Um, I've not been injured, not been ill. So, all is well. I also got to race a proper race um, last weekend, just gone, uh, down in Cornwall. Uh, it was a fantastic race, well organised by Dave from this uh, Viking Events. Uh, Dave was uh, a, a former guest on here um, in season one, uh, so you can go listen to that podcast. Um, fantastic race, really tough, but it was so great to finally catch up with friends I've not seen in ooh, almost nine months now. Um, and I won't lie, I did sort of get a little bit emotional, a little bit of uh, tear in my eye, because um, it has been uh, tough uh, not not being able to rest. I've been I've kept myself busy. I've done virtual events and stuff like that. But I love the race atmospheres. I love catching up with friends and having a chat with them, and you know. And I've not seen a lot of them since our last race back in March. So, you know, I did get a little bit teary. Um, took myself to one side. I had, had a word with myself. Got myself sorted. Um, but it just goes to show. Um, sometimes you don't... <coughs> excuse me. You don't realise you um, miss something properly um, until it's gone. And then it comes back. And then it hits you, you know unexpectedly but anyway that's enough about me um let's move on now like in previous seasons um i like to get a guest on and this latest guest is an absolute gem in the running world ladies and gentlemen i give you vic owens also known as the happy runner We are recording. Hello there and welcome to the podcast, Vic. How are you and how's the family? I'm okay. Um, they're all right, yes. Thank you very much. Excellent. Um, how have you been coping with, uh, obviously, the lockdown? Because you're in North Wales and stuff. and Obviously different to us in England. Um, how, have you, how have you been doing with all that and the family and stuff? Um, it's... To be fair, it's not been too bad for us. We live a little bit rural, um, so we're kind of used to being out on our own. We don't actually have neighbours. We have cows as neighbours. Um, and both my children are homeschooled, so that's not changed. Um, I work from home, so that's not changed. Um, and my husband's a builder, so he still had to go to work. So 
in general, it's not been too bad. I think missing seeing family has, has been the only thing that we've really, um, has really affected us. And then running wise, I've just been running my local trails around my back garden. Um, yeah, so it's, 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 we've not, we've been quite lucky. We've probably not been as affected as, you know, people who, who live in the city and who live in like smaller spaces. So we've been quite fortunate. Oh, that's good. Um, so tell our uh, listeners and viewers um, a little bit about yourself, running aside, because we'll get into that, um, where you're from, what you do, what is your family makeup, all that sort of stuff. Okay, so... I'm Vic Azzi Owens. Um, I live in North Wales, as you said, but I'm originally from London. So I've now lived in Wales longer than I ever lived in London um, in my childhood. Um, our family consists of um, my two younger children. One's gone into teenage years, so that's so much fun. Um, but Sophie's 13, Ollie's 10. We've got three tortoises, a hedgehog, and two dogs. Um, and we live in a, a nice little farmhouse um, in North Wales. Um, and my brother lives with us as well. He's probably a little bit more famous than me, so I'm sure everyone <laughs> knows who he is. Um, so yeah, so that, that's our that's our little family, really. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned your brother, and I've I've obviously seen you um, post your runs and races with your brother. Tell tell me a little bit about your brother. Okay, so my brother um, Alexander, who has been nicknamed Alexander the Great, and um, he's got severe brain damage, so <clears throat> he's um, 32 years old physique um, of a child so he needs time care and um, just basic things like um, he doesn't cut his food up um, he doesn't know what hot and cold is so if you give him a boiling hot cup of tea he'd drink it and scold himself and um, so he just needs 24 7 care basically but he absolutely adores running so he moved in with me um, it was like two years ago now and um, before that he was living with mum and dad but they got to the point they couldn't care for him anymore so he came to live with me and obviously that weekend we were out at the park run and he'd never ran before in his life um, and it just went crazy from there. So um, we found out that when he runs, um, the adrenaline and the endorphins that releases into his brain gives him some kind of clarity. So everything becomes a lot clearer for him um, when that kicks in and his speech becomes um, very fluid um, and excited um, and he can express things that he can't um, normally. Um, and he the London Marathon last year as well, which was amazing. Raised loads of money for Headway, which is a charity um, that helps people with brain injury. Um, and yeah, so for him, running um, has completely changed everything. His mental health is so much better. Um, it helps him have like a controlled area in his life where he can make decisions. Um, and he loves medals. You should see his medal collection. He loves the blink. That is why he's in it. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's a little bit about my brother. He's awesome. So it must... Like I said, we'd probably go off on a tangent and we already started here. Um, so having your brother more focused because of running, more clearer and happier and stuff, that must make your life as a carer a lot easier as well. Yeah, it, it, yes. Um, life as a carer, <clears throat> I think if you're not a carer, you can't even begin to imagine what life as a carer is. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's, there's, yeah, it's, I can't really explain it. Um, I've got a lot of admiration for anyone who cares and I think there's a lot of um, a lot of people have forgotten about if, it, if you care for a family member it's a lot of people don't realize you know what's involved with that 
um, and it's sometimes you know when parents are caring for children that's something they've always done and it becomes normal um, and it isn't it isn't normal it isn't the normal it's something that is a full-time job um, that you don't get a break from ever uh, and with my brother living with us like he'll grow old with me he'll I'll always care for him forever now um, but yeah he's he's running um, is is amazing and I get to take him on runs which is great um, he's got like a guide rope, yeah. <clears throat> so we use that a lot. And then sometimes he has days where he doesn't want me to hold the guide rope, but he has to hold it. So that's his comfort blanket. I'm not allowed to hold it because he's too cool for that on some days. Oh, that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, but he's really funny when he runs. So it's kind of like his clarity time. Mm. So we'll be running for a few minutes and then maybe he'll like go on a downhill and he'll get like an adrenaline rush because he's sprinting and he'll just turn to me and be like, I don't like that food. Like he's been waiting to tell me that all week. And I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, so he, he gets this like clarity that he can tell me something that maybe he can't tell me when it's happening or he can't express. Um, and yeah, he's really funny. He sort of shouts out to people that go past, um, but he's got no social awareness. So sometimes people can be like, whoa, because he, in his physique and appearance looks um, like an average Joe no one would really be able to tell that he's got uh, a disability unless they tried talking to him so when he's running along um, and he's sort of shouting at people like hey granddad you know if, if a guy's older or um yelling at schoolboys like don't be naughty be good to your parents you know we get some really weird looks but yeah we just take it in our stride that's 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 really great um is he older than you no he's um 18 months younger all right so there's not much difference so we're, we're really close in age no uh, but do you know what because um he looks really young for his age it's it's ridiculous mm -hmm. and he often gets mistaken for a teenager and i'm at the point now where people are asking me how old my son is and i am not impressed at all <laughs> oh dear it's not cool <laughs> so when you were growing up as a child um were you a oh that's our doorbell that's right uh when you were growing up as a child were you a sporty child did you do no. no? I'm no, not at all. Um, this with a lot of people I speak to, not many were. But, okay, so what, what were you like as a child? So I was very quiet and shy as a child. And we lived in um, a house in London that I think it was like a three-bedroom house. And I had lots of brothers and sisters, so that we were a big family. And um, so we all kind of got on with our own stuff. Um, and my, my pastime was pretty much um, sitting and reading to my brother Alexander. I used to spend loads of time with him. Or reading, I just read and wrote. Um, I didn't really listen to music. I, d I didn't do anything sporty or wanted to do anything sporty. Um, and it, yeah, it was, it was just, I loved reading and writing and that was it basically. Um, I hear your father was a runner. Did he inspire you in any way when you started to get into your running? Was that, was that? Yeah, part? yeah. So um, I think one of my favourite pastimes is my dad telling us bedtime stories because like obviously there was lots of us kids and dad worked full time. So we didn't get to spend loads of quality time with him. Um, so yeah, bedtime stories. He used to either tell us a bedtime story or play um, a song on the guitar. And some of the stories used to be of when he was a runner, which was um, before he met my mum because um, my mum changed everything she fed him lots and I don't think he got to run after that um, so yeah he was he was a fast runner back in his day um, in school and college and after that um, so yeah he was short distance but very fast and he's
where I used to do, um, and it always made me want to run. Um, but as, as I said, I didn't think that was a possibility. And also, I was very much like um, brought up in a household where, you know, like mum looked after us and fed us and clothed us and dad went to work. And I thought that would be me. I'd, I'd you know, be a proper little woman and um, baking for my husband day and night. And um, so I never considered the fact that I could be my own person and just go out and run. And um, so, yeah, that, that never happened. So what got you into running then? What was it that sparked that, do you know what, I want to lace a couple of pairs of shoes on and go for it? Um, well, I did a few uh, Race for Lives with some friends, you know, just the, oh, should we do Race for Life? But I think we pretty much walked it every time. Um, and then I was at a point in my life when the children were very young, I was on my own with them. And they'd go to their dads at the weekends and I kind of, myself just at the weekend completely lost um and I was in quite a bad bad space really when they went to their dads and I was just sort of by myself in an empty house um it was a really hard time mentally as well um and I just thought what can I do um so I got a puppy obviously <laughs> to keep me company um and then realized that having a Springer Spaniel puppy um was maybe something that I needed to get out and walk it constantly and she didn't walk, she ran, and um, there's no walking with my Bella. So I started running, and we used to go out little runs because she was quite young, and then when she was back at home sleeping, I'd be like, I want to go out and do another run. So it just kind of went from there, and I was going to the gym at the time, and I said to my uh, personal trainer, I quite fancy a half marathon, and he was like, what? And he doesn't run, and I was like, do you fancy doing it with me because I don't want to do it on my own? And um, so we did, and that's pretty much how I started running by getting a puppy, basically. Yeah, I mean, we've got a Springer door, so half Springer Spaniel, uh, half Labrador, and he's absolutely bonkers, uh, you know. And he he can run forever. He's only a year old, but he's yeah, I'd struggle to keep keep pace with him. That's for sure. Um, absolutely <laughs> mental. But um, so a dog got you into running? Well, that's that's different. <laughs> <laughs> obviously obviously the, the 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 loneliness of not having your children at the weekends and stuff that that was the main source but the dog really got yeah you know yeah she uh, she didn't walk um we had we had to run when when I was with Bella um but yeah that was kind of like a series of events that led to that and then in my head I thought oh okay so running this is what we could do now um and it kind of went from there and how was those first steps um yeah horrible I couldn't breathe properly um and I was like oh I'm so unfit which was ridiculous because I was always active I've always been an active like adult um I'd always walk to work instead of catching the bus even if it was like seven eight miles away um but yeah and I, I was at the gym as well doing like circuits and weights um, but I'd never done much cardio um so yeah just like I ran for 10 minutes and I was like oh I must have done a marathon by now because I'm exhausted. Um, yeah, it was it was horrific. It was not enjoyable at all. And training for the half marathon was not enjoyable at all. I didn't enjoy anything about it. It was it was horrendous. So, what sort of time frame was there before between you starting your running and the half marathon? Okay, so um, I think we had about seven seven months i think we gave ourselves uh, we put a, a half that was seven months sort of trained up to that um, but then after that things kind of skyrocketed really quickly 
So after we'd done the half, um, my friend who I'd done it with, Craig, was like, oh, we should do a marathon now. And that happened, I think, probably within about four or five months, we'd done the marathon. And then everything went crazy. Within two months, we'd done an ultra. And by the end of that year, I'd done my first 200 miles. Um, so yeah, it, it just... So how long, ago, how long ago was your half marathon? How long ago was your half marathon? So um, it's I started training for the half marathon, and I think it's almost four years ago now. So four um, years. So yeah. Okay, so that is quite a short period of time from going from couch <laughs> to two hundred miles. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it took me. It took me couch to marathon, and then. A, a couple of years before I, I stepped into the ultra world. So t it was about two years for me to hit my first ultra, but you've done couch to 200 miles in a very short period of time. Yes. Um, I was just going to say, where did you get into the longer stuff? But you sort of already answered that. Um, what, what sort of, what was, what was your thinking behind going from, half marathon to marathon to ultra to 200 miles in such a short period of time what spurred you to keep pushing longer more than getting faster if that makes sense yeah okay so when when I did the training for the half and the marathon um that was both road and I was my head was very much in the commercial side I wanted the good medal I wanted the time and that's what I was training for and I didn't enjoy it at all um and I think that's why I didn't stick with that side of things. Um, and then booking the ultra to try that, um, that changed everything. Because when I did it, it I realised you couldn't, I couldn't run it the speed I tried to run a marathon at. And I had to eat, which was great. I had like four meals that day. Oh, yeah. um, and that changed everything. I enjoyed that day. Um, and I realised that was it. Ultras was for me. I hate marathon distance. Even when I'm training, there's like that mental thing. And as soon as I pass marathon distance, I'm like, oh, I love this run. It's great. Um, so yeah, that I just don't enjoy that that side of things. I'm not. I'm not in it for the it time a, or the medal. It's a different world, isn't it? Um, it? The moment people step out of the road running side and start hitting those trails and realising where their so their spirit, their soul is actually connected to nature. And then obviously they find out there's pizzas and stuff and uh, at the aid stations and not, not, a, not a Lucas Aid bottle or gel or something, you know, they, they've, they've gone to a birthday party instead of something else. So they, they, they realize there's a new world out there, that type of thing. And suddenly, you know, all these events, they start Googling, don't they? You start Googling all these new events, finding out, oh, that's a six day Oh, that's a, that's a hundred miler. Ooh, they put scones and cream and jam on, on their menus, you know? Um, it, it's mad how, uh, people tend to step into the world of trail and ultra, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I, it is a completely different ball game. Um, completely different. I think like when I did my first marathon and um, it was like Manchester marathon I did, and it was just so tedious. It was just the same thing over and over and over again. Um, but then I did my first trail marathon a couple of weeks after that. And it took me double the time because I'd never run up a hill before in my entire life. I'd never trained for this. But it was beautiful. It was amazing. Everyone was laughing and joking. And like people talked to me. They weren't trying to like go past me or were conscious of me going past them. They just wanted to say hi. 
Um, and I realized as well that like the people you meet, I, I don't, I don't know, like, or don't ask like, what, what job do you have? Or, you know, what car do you drive? That doesn't come into the equation. You're interested about them as a person. Um, you know, what they like, what, what's their favorite food on an ultra and um, what's their best moment or what's the strangest thing they've seen. Um, and you can come home knowing things about a person that maybe, you know, their closest friends don't know. It is completely different um, when you hit the trails and you go into ultra miles. Definitely. I mean, I've been to loads of road races and not, unless I knew someone there, I've never come away with a new friend. But every trailways, every ultra that I've been to, I've formed new friendships with people that you run with at the time because you've come across someone, someone new and so you start sharing that random journey with them or whether it's at the end where they're clapping you in, they start chatting to you and so forth. Um, you don't get that in the roadside. And, you know, yes, the atmosphere can be mega at a road marathon. Take London as an example. It's probably got one of the best atmospheres for road events but it's a completely different atmosphere when you're coming into an event village on a trail ultra uh, in a in a map in a mountain or some random village in the middle of the uk on the, you know in the lake district or something with cowbells ringing it's it's completely different um aura i suppose um behind the atmosphere yeah, and I, I think it, people are there for a different reason as well. So it, it definitely attracts a different type of person. Um, I, I don't think there's, well, there's very few ultra runners that I, I think, oh, I don't like them. Because normally, like, people who run ultras are super nice, um, normally, like, really humble, genuine people. Um, yeah, so it is, it, it's, it's, it's a whole new world. Yeah, I mean, I know we're sort of semi-bashing road running a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not meant to be like that because road running has its purpose and we both do it. Um, yeah. And we both do it in different forms, be it either you're supporting your, your brother through his, his running or um, you're going to park run and you do a, a, a 5K race or what have you. Um, it has its purpose and there's lots of lovely people there. But you're right, I find the... the, the attitudes of some people in road running completely wrong in the, in the mentality compared to those yeah. of trail and ultra so if you were to fall over and hurt yourself in a trail or ultra guarantee the runners will stop and help you now i've been in a road race where i've seen them jump over an injured person because they're chasing their time their, you know the pb um and and that's the difference i found between the two and which is why I always prefer the races on on, on the green and muddy side of things <laughs> yeah definitely I definitely agree with you um so obviously you've got into your long stuff now um what was your first ultra so my first ultra was um a rat race one I yeah. signed up um, for a yearly membership with them and I did rat race the wall and it was a great first ultra um, they're quite commercial in you know a, a good way uh, they really look after their runners like when we got to the um, the food tent there was like champagne 
candy ginger beer pints um the food was like i've never seen so much food there was a guy giving massages um but yeah there was there was like a little cubicle where you could have a shower if you wanted to it was it was just crazy and it yeah they you know it was a really rat race the wall that i did when i did it was just perfect um for a first ultra it was just a party um but i i did realize that even though i really liked that i i didn't want a c commercial races um i wanted races where maybe i didn't see someone for 10 20 miles um i i wanted something a little bit more um raw and that's when i i signed up for um the office dyke race and i did that i think it was four months later it, it's advertised as 186 miles but I've, I've done it twice now and it's 200 miles every time um and that was that was perfect that was very raw you know you get handed a pot needle if you're lucky um there's no beer that there's no showers there's there's no yeah pretty much outdoor checkpoints um if you're late the doors closed you, you don't get anything it's it's the real stuff yeah yeah i mean uh, the wall was my first ultra when i started oh, cool yeah in 2012 i dnf though at 40 miles um i wasn't mentally strong enough it was as simple as that although i blamed it on sore feet and stuff it was yeah i wasn't mentally strong enough to keep going um so it obviously taught me a, a lot of lessons but yeah the wall race and you're, you're right it is it is one of the very big commercial companies um you know it, and, and I think you, you could almost put it towards like some of the big city marathon type commercial fields where yeah. if you raced maybe your local village marathon, you probably get the same feel as, uh, you know, a non-commercial ultra type thing. You know, it's, you know, volunteers aren't paid. They're out there in all weathers cheering you on for hours on end um and you know you're not being uh put into a shower <laughs> you know you're, you're, you're the shower is the rain outside <laughs> you know so i i do agree with you on, on on that side of things especially when it comes to the rat the rat race and it's not it's not cheap either if you did it in an individual um yeah yeah that's i got the membership because i just thought if i do more than two races in a year i've got my money back um and i did every every single one that i could get to so yeah that's the thing i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't do that because i don't i'm not interested in half their races because uh, they don't interest me so the obstacle stuff and all that it reminds, yeah, me, I'm not reminds that. me too much of work um obstacle races and what have you so I would literally only do either one or two other races and it's just not financially viable um, where other ultras are far cheaper. You get pretty much the same sort of level of aid stations and stuff like that, but you're not, you know, it's put, mostly put on by volunteers. Um, and, that, and that's where I tend to head myself. Um, so as well as getting into the long stuff, you decided shoes weren't for you. And for those listening, what I mean shoes weren't for you. Basically, you decided to get rid of your standard commercial type shoe um, and go barefoot or wear minimalist footwear uh, so you're more connected with nature and all that sort of stuff. Um, now, we've had barefoot runners on, on this podcast before, and you probably know him, Alex uh, Kashifi. Do you know Alex? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah he's awesome yeah, yeah yeah we've had him on uh so you, you it's not like you're alone in the world you know um what what drew you to um going without you know the comfort that most people would would be going for um so it was um i think it was 2018 um the may i was doing chester 100 um and i ran alongside um mark lutman um who i always thought was a bit of a hippie he like vegan um sandal runner um and i ran with him for a bit and like he was talking to me about changing my diet and you know being more minimalistic and i was like it's really not for me um i loved loved my my ultra pros my shoes um but i i was noticing that after i passed marathon distance i was getting blisters and sores and heat spots and everything was becoming a lot harder um, my feet were just a constant problem um anyway so on this run we ran together a few bits and we, we actually finished together as well um and just i think it was past past the 70 miles we got and my feet were just appalling um and i got into that really grouchy ultra mood you know where it's like everything hurts and mm. nothing you do is going to make it better but my feet were just they were horrific um and he was saying to me right you, you need to you know you need to sort of think about your feet and all this i was like yeah yeah um i, I didn't really pay much attention um not in a disrespectful way but like that works for you but this is what works for me and i'm going to be fine i'm quite stubborn but when when we crossed that finish line i took my shoes off um and they were just in such a state my feet were um and i was like that's it i'm not putting those shoes back on they're going in the bin um and i remember my husband being like yeah you'll be fine you know just give us some space but when we got home i actually put those shoes in the bin and that was it um and mark I must have told Mark Lutman because he gifted me a pair of sandals and they came and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't <laughs> run in these. Um, and I wore them and I was like, okay, so not so bad. Um, and then I started looking online and I ordered um, the Vibram Five Fingers. Um, and then that was it. I, they just put them on um, and they just fitted and they felt great. And I did lots of research that said you should start from scratch. You should do a mile in them and then two miles. And I was like, okay i'll walk the dogs for a couple of weeks in them and i'll recover from the chester run and i think it was about three weeks later i did a 50k in them three weeks after that i did a 50 miler and um, by the end of the year i'd done 200 miles in them in one go and they just worked for me um i don't get blisters i don't get heat spots the only time i've gotten a blister is um i'd worn the shoe like so badly that it had holes in the bottom and in my head i thought oh but i'm barefoot running so a hole in my shoe is fine but it's not because it creates a blister around the hole doesn't it and that's the only that's the only mistake i've ever made um but yeah my feet now i can just that they're never an issue i can put a pair of vibrams on that i've never worn before and go out and run in them and not have any troubles they're just amazing for me um so yeah, it was just a matter of, I was having so much trouble with my feet after sort of marathon distance that I just kind of went from one end of the spectrum to the other um, and it worked for me. So I raced at the weekend and um, there was a, a vegan runner. I knew that because he had it on his top. You know, most, most vegan runners have it on their top. <laughs> um, and he was wearing Luna sandals. 
I thought, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, not a shock to me, you know. I, I'm, I know quite a few barefoot runners. But it wasn't until I was running it during the race, because obviously we started in waves, so I didn't... He, he was in the first wave. He was long gone anyway. And I got to a point where I thought, oh, by this... Going through the, this farmer's field and come out to one of the gates, and I thought it was a, a solid bit of ground with a bit of slurry on it. I went up to my knees, all right, in slurry in cow oh, shit and, oh. and mud. And I just thought, it could be worse. I could be barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, obviously, I then thought of the guy, I went, what the hell are we doing with this? <laughs> That's got to be one of the worst parts of it, that type of, that sort of stuff that you come, obviously, it's easy to wash off and it'll come off and all that sort of stuff. But that, that moment you put your foot in, you know, you know what I mean? That's got to be... Yeah. What the yeah. parts. Um, maybe um, it's never really bothered me. Um, yeah, it's it's not bothered me to be honest. Um, I'm very much like it will clean off as easily as it got on, um, and then you just go through a puddle and it and it's fine. Um, I have become more conscious. Um, obviously, when I come home from a run, I always like clean my feet. Um, sometimes I soak them in Dettol because obviously you could, your feet could be more prone to infection because there's a lot more getting on them. Um, <clears throat> also, like, you know, like thistles and thorns, I've had to pull stuff out my feet before. Um, so, yeah, there, there is that. I think that the worst thing about barefoot running is having to stop and pull out, like, a holly thorn or I've stepped on a nail before and that's gone through my heel. Mm like that you know but you become very technical minded you're looking at the floor a lot and it just becomes second nature um you adapt really quickly it's amazing how quickly the body adapts and the mind as well um, yeah. I, and it just I, becomes normal i interviewed um a army major um in the last series who barefoot marched stroke fast tabbed uh, from land's end to Edinburgh via london to raise money for his uh, child with a rare disease um and he's i i tried giving i tried giving him advice based on what my barefoot front friends have have given me and his feet were in bits i mean proper proper bits he he had to go to a hospital a few times to get them repaired uh, he, he did it and, and you know did the amount of pressure from the public turning to put shoes on he remained resilient and he, and he did it. Um, and since then, other people are doing a relay version of his event in barefoot. So people have never, ever done barefoot walk and they're walking a mile, five miles, even a marathon for the first time barefoot off, off scratch. Um, so it just goes to show, you know, barefooting can be fantastic, but there is a, few, a little bit of elements of, issues if you're not careful isn't there yeah i think it's really easy to forget um that when we're going putting our body under um stress you know if people run a marathon in shoes and they put up their feet after and they've got blisters or toenails dropped off we go we've just run a marathon that's completely mm -hmm. normal but if i was to put a picture up on my feet in a bad condition after a marathon people go it's because you didn't wear shoes yeah um, and that it's it's not, you know, we're putting our body through stuff, our feet 
through things that isn't normal for us to do and that is the result so yeah you know with barefoot running you haven't got that like cushion you haven't got that protection from the floor so you need to condition your feet majorly um but yeah you know what whatever we do we're gonna we're gonna get something like you know if, if we do a super long run with sticks we, we could get blisters on our thumbs you know it's everything has consequences but it's just finding what works for you and going with it, I guess. Brilliant. Um, so I got to know you through social media over the last couple of years and you love a Mark Cockbane event, don't you? All right. <laughs> <Bit> um, <torture. laughs> right. So for those that don't know who this guy is and what his events are, can you explain to him and explain some of the events that you've done uh, of his? Okay, I don't think I can explain Mark. I'm not sure anybody can, even if they were professional. Um, but yeah, I've, I've done some of his events. So his events are called like the hard stuff, aren't they? Um, yeah, and they're just a little bit crazy. They are usually, um, his actual official races are usually put on with the um, mindset that no one's going to finish. You know, it'd be a surprise if someone finishes. Um, and the ones that I've done, I've done... Um, in lockdown uh, this year, I did the back garden ultra, which was um, run around your back garden for as many hours as possible. <clears throat> so when it started, like the first person did it, so they were sort of put on the leaderboard. Um, I think when I did it, I was maybe the sixth person to do it. So I had like that, that person that had done it before me, my target was to meet, to beat them. Um, and that was just running laps around my back garden. I think eight laps around my back garden no, 40 laps around my back garden made one mile, 40 laps. Um, and I think I did something like 68 miles in the end. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's crazy. That's just mental, mental torture. Because so, obviously I've um, watched, I watched you do the back, the back garden things. And obviously being in Wales, you had different restrictions to us. So I can understand why you took that, took that on because you can only go a certain distance from your house anyway. Uh, during lockdown one, um, whereas I could go for my doorstep anywhere I wanted for my exercise. So, uh, you know, it, that, that event didn't appeal to me because I didn't need to do that. Um, but you've done his, his done, you've done his proper races. You did the, the, the tunnel the, uh, last year, was it? How, yeah, did that, yeah. how did that go for you? How did the... <laughs> Not very well. So I think I, I entered that ballot with the thinking that, oh, I'll enter this, I won't get in. Um, and then realised that only a handful of people had entered it because they weren't as daft as me. Um, so I ended up doing that. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't trained. Um, I don't do road running, so I hadn't trained for it on on any account. Um, so it didn't go very well. And to be fair, I probably didn't put in a hundred percent. I wasn't in the right, the mind, the right mindset. Um, but yeah, so I completely um, belly flopped that. But it was interesting and different. Um, so that was just running up and down um, a tunnel, which I think is the longest tunnel in England, if I'm right, um, maybe. Um, yeah, so it was sort of like a, a mile out and a mile back, but it turned out it was more than a mile, uh, which nobody was impressed with, but obviously that, that was gonna happen because it's Mark. Um, so yes, yeah, so you complete, um, complete darkness through this tunnel um, out and back. 
um, and Alex was there as well. I remember Alex taking, um, he was probably the only runner that was able to sleep. So I remember running down the tunnel and hearing this really weird noise, like there was a grizzly bear in the tunnel and it was Alex and he was at the side snoring. <laughs> no one had get any sleep because it was just horrible. You'd have to lay on the cold ground. Um, but there he was, I almost fell over him because it was pitch black. <laughs> um, and then there were other runners just sort of running into the side of the tunnel walls because they were so tired and they, and they were drooping just forwards and backwards. Um, I did it the, the first year um, and I think, I think two people finished that year and I think something like maybe 20 of us started. I think they had two finishes if I'm right, um, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, so that was an experience. Um, and it also a good learning curve for me that you can't just rock up at a race. It doesn't matter, you know, how much, how many miles you've run or what you've run or your experience of running. You can't rock up at a race and think, I'll oh, wing it. Uh, you have to, you have to train for that race and that mindset. Um, so yeah, but hopefully I'll have better luck next year because I'm entering another of Mark's races, Long Lass, yeah. which is all road. Um, so yeah that kind of goes against everything we've been saying um it's a cycle path um and it, it's not just all on road a lot of it runs alongside a road but terrain wise it's all tarmac um and road so that is something i'm literally spending a year training for conditioning my feet on road uh, last weekend i went out with some friends and did um a recce of it we did 33 miles and my feet were sore after 20 um, and usually i can go I can go 200 on the trails and say my feet are fine. Um, so yeah, this is going to take some a lot of training for me. It's something completely different that my body's not used to, um, which is why I signed up because I wanted a challenge. So we'll yeah. see how it goes. So I've 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 ran 250 miles on a road before, and it's a completely different experience to running 250 miles on trail. Your body does not move around it stays locked in um and it does you know your joints all continue and you you, move, you just move them use the muscles in the same way each mile compared to a trail where you're yeah. weaving about you're up and down you're 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 all over the place so your body moves differently it's a complete complete different uh way of ru running if you're not used to it yeah it is it's um it's a whole different ball game and it's very um when you go out on the trails i know when i go out on the trails um because it's very undulating and you get hills um i might hike up some hills i might you know do this do that different muscles like you say different movement um even though i'm hiking up a hill i'm getting a bit of rest from running whereas when you're on the road you don't tend to stop because what you know what, what's the excuse there's no hill um so you tend to go and you don't realize how long you've gone for without a break. And then you, by the time you get to the point where your body's like, I'm done now, you're like, oh no, I've got another 100 miles. You can't be done. So yeah, it's, it, you've got to have, you know, a game plan and you've got, got to get the training in and just, just know how to keep your body going. Um, yeah. And mentally, it's, it's going to be pretty boring, I reckon. Um, yeah and also with doing the reccees i was really surprised how sparse it was for a road race i was expecting to constantly see a spa or a garage um i think i went 20 miles and then came across a little post office the other weekend so even though it's on road it's still sort of in remote areas 
Um, so yeah, going to have to be completely self-sufficient between checkpoints, which are quite rare as well. So yeah, carrying a lot on my back, going to have to get used to that again. Yeah, I mean, you're not, it's not your first time, all right, of um, doing long, long distances and what have you. And your, your recent um, fastest known time attempt uh, was the Monarch's Way. Um, and you had, you had a time of 16 days or something to, to beat. Um, let's talk about the Monarch's Way. What is it? And why did you decide this was this was the thing for you to get to do this year? Um, so the Monarchs Way is um, a 625 mile route um, that uh, King Charles took um, when he was escaping after the Poic um, battle. Um, I had attempted it the year uh, before in the, in the race, um, so. I'd done a lot of training for it and a lot of recce, um, but when it came to the race, it just didn't work for me because I was doing a lot of night running, um, which was quite quite tough for me. It's, I'm not great with night running. Um, so yeah, things just came apart. I was hallucinating and falling asleep on my feet. Um, I woke up like in the middle of a cow field in poo, drenched, um, and it, it just didn't work for me, but I loved the route. Um, and I loved the experience. And I was like, as soon as like I finished, I remember messaging the race director and saying, right, I'm going to come back next year. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to train all year. And he gave me loads of tips. Like I hadn't recorded the entire route. And he's like, go back, walk the entire route and learn it and then come back and run it in the race. So I was like, do that. Um, and I, I said to my parents, you know, if, if I do it next year, can you help out? Because obviously when I go to races, they have to babysit and care for my brother. Um, but my mum had actually, she's French, and she was going home um, for six weeks. And that was the time period that the monarchs was in. And I was like, oh, no. So I kind of left it and put it out of my heart. And I, it just kind of faded a bit. Then I, uh, I did uh, support for my friend Neil at the canal races and who should be there doing checkpoints but the race director of the monarchs and the minute I saw his car all the emotions came flooding back and the want and the desire and the route and I was like oh and then I saw him and we had a chat and I was just like oh I want to do it and then I started thinking about doing it on my own could I do it with my own crew off my own back and then of course that brought into play uh, the fastest known time like maybe I could the whole route which is slightly different from the race route so they don't do the entire route they do pretty much all of it but they don't go off to historical points that you have to do to uh, apply for the fastest known time um, and, and little things that you have to do the race don't do um, so that that I started thinking about that and I started wrecking it and then I started thinking about a time frame um, a day and then it just I spent the year just doing that basically um, and apart from the last 50 miles, I, I reckon um, I knew exactly where I could sleep if I needed to sleep on route. I knew where the shops were. Um, and it just literally, I became obsessed with this route. I was like, if I wasn't out there running it, I was on Google going through the route, looking at it. I was like checking out videos and writing, just everything. It just literally became my life. Um, so yeah, and then I, I went out and did it and all the hard work paid off to be fair. Um, I had to be 16 days, which had been set um, 
by um, Lee Scott, um, and and I did. Um, I think I did it in is it thirteen days, thirteen hours, or something. Yeah, thirteen days, thirteen hours, and thirty-eight minutes. Yeah, um, which was pretty cool because I, I knew all I had to do was complete it to get the women's record, so I didn't even have to. You know, I could take thirty days if if it was going to if I was get, wanted to. Um, so the fact that everything just went to plan, and I, I didn't expect to be running every single day. I'm going to walk out, but every day I'd wake up. Um, and I'd, I'd just start running. It was great. I think there was one day where I, I think 70% was walking because I had problems with my shins. Um, and the rest, I was just getting up every day and just running and running. And it, it just, it was great. It was amazing. Um, yeah, it, it couldn't have been more perfect. I, I had like some shins issues. And when they came, they were so painful. Um, obviously, anybody who's had that knows that um, you get shin splints from increasing your mileage too quickly, which um, after I hit 236 miles, I'd never ran more than that in one go. So, you know, 625, obviously, I'm going to get shin splints at some point. Um, but yeah, you know, somehow I managed to work through that and keep moving. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. It's awesome. Amazing experience. But there must have been some low points. It can't be 13 days of, oh, this is amazing. I'm absolutely enjoying this. You know, there's going to be like a few days in. It's got to be a point where suddenly you're, you've, you, you know, your energy levels have gone a bit. You've sat down. The weather's bad, all that sort of stuff. So what were, what were they for you? What were the low points? Um, we had some really bad weather, but that, that wasn't low points. That was kind of fun. Um, I don't know why it was fun. We were going through um, a forest with a lightning storm. I was petrified, um, but it was pretty fun as well. Um, Did you have poles then? Um, yeah, I used, <laughs> so funny story, <laughs> funny story. So we got there and um, parked up at the start the night before. And um, my brother was crewing for me the first week and we we're in this van and I sort of, lay this way and he's laying this way so if I need to go out for a wee in the night I have to go out through the back doors and I did and it was raining and I opened the back doors as quietly as possible and as I slipped out and I twisted my ankle this is the, the morning of starting and I was like oh my goodness and I didn't mention it to anyone so I started running um, and about 15 miles in I rang my brother and I told him and he's like what are you gonna do and I was like I don't know because I've started now and he goes, okay, he says, why don't you use those pole things that you've brought along? And I said, no, I can't use them till at least the second week. And he's like, just, just use them for goodness sake. <laughs> he's like, take the pressure off your ankle. So I, I took one out. Um, so I, I just had this one pole. And for the next few days, I literally, it took the pressure off my ankle. My ankle came right. But this pole just became like my comfort blanket. And I wasn't doing anything with it most of the time. And people that joined me along the way were saying to me, um, why have you only got one pole like what and what are you doing with it <laughs> um and it just kind of i it kind of became my wilson and i was talking to it a lot as well through the tough times and um, so yeah i did have poles in the lightning storm um which was interesting everything yeah. was very interesting <laughs> <laughs> um so out of obviously obviously you finished it we know you finished it uh 13 days 13 hours 38 minutes but um, that's going to be always going to be the, the most important, most biggest thing ever. 
uh, of that event. But what was, apart from that, what was your highlight of the journey, the adventure across the 625? If you could take one moment away. Um, it was um, the Jurassic Coast. Um, but so I knew that the Jurassic Coast was going to be um, the steepest bit of the route. Um, I knew it was going to be the hardest and I was, it turned out that I approached it at the end of the day. So I had to climb it like I was really tired. I think I'd already done like 45 miles and now I had the seven mile stretch and um, two big climbs on the Jurassic Coast. Um, I think oh, this is, this is going to be horrific now, but it strangely wasn't horrific. It was probably the best bit. It was amazing. Um, and my friend who was crewing for me that second week, Gavin, he had parked at the end and he was running towards me because I said to him, oh, this is, this is going to be really hard. I'm going to need some moral support. And we kind of met halfway. Um, but yeah, the, like the views were amazing. They were just breathtaking and just, it, just, just amazing. I can't explain how it felt knowing that this was kind of like the, tough, the toughest bit and I, I was doing it. I remember we came to the, the summit um, where it's got that little trig point stone, hasn't it? And I remember Gav saying, oh, I'll take a picture of you. And I just went up to the trig point and put my hands on it, pushed myself up, ten round and sat on it. And he was just like, you got some energy still then. I just felt amazing. Um, I was just, yeah, I think that that was really, that point is really clear in my mind. Um, it just sort of everything just sort of came together and I, I think I thought at that point I might just do this I might be able to finish um yeah it was it was it just a highlight it was amazing now, now you've done that and you've run some of the southwest coastal path are you tempted by the female fastest known time for the south coast path I'm, in all honesty I'm not tempted by any fastest known time um I'm not competitive in any manner. Oh, you are. Um, you honestly, are I'm not. <laughs> when I set out to do the Monarchs, um, there was, like, I wanted to do the route, and it was kind of cool that I could, I could go out, and if I completed it, I was going to get a faster snow time. Um, and I, yeah, I'd made a plan to get it within that 16 days, and it was going to be great if I could. But I don't have that competitive streak, you know, like... I want to go out. Um, so if if I turn any course, um, even in a time scale, I I wouldn't be doing it to get a record. Does that make sense? I literally love the journey, and that's more important to me. You know, if if that one minute means I can't stand at the top and look out at the sunrise, you know, I'm going to take the sunrise and not get the fastest known time. Like that is just those moments are more important to me than anything else. So take the fastest known time out then. Would you be tempted to run the Southwest Coastal Path in its entirety in an adventure? I haven't, I haven't looked into it enough to be able to say I would be. Um, I, haven't, I haven't allowed myself yet. <laughs> um, we've got some stunning views yeah. around there. Those sunsets as, the, you know, as you're looking over <laughs> towards Land's End and the sun's going up. I'll have to look into it. <laughs> I, think, I think you should. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, right, we'll move on to our quick fire round. Ten questions, okay? Um, I'll ask you a question. You'll give me a, a quick answer. Um, okay, so question number one. Your favourite snack whilst on a run or in a race? Samosa, vegetable samosa. That's different. Um, mm. 
<laughs> your favourite bit of kit that you've bought? Oh, um, my favourite bit of kit that I've bought. Oh, I've bought all my kit. Um, I love my, I've got myself a new, I call it a Brian belt. Do you know Brian? Um, what's his last name? Tall beard. Oh no. gosh, what's his last name? Okay. We'll have a game of guess who. <laughs> Tuhei, Brian Tuhei is it? Right. So he told me about a little a little belt I could buy. It's um, it's called like a it's like a naked belt. You oh know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Do a, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Holes on yeah. the back of your phone, and it's great because there's one thing I hate is ha wearing a jacket, and I don't wear a watch. So if I want it on, I take my phone. But now I can put my my phone in this little belt. It kind of looks like I've got a poo belly, but that's fine. And I can go out and run without any issues. And this is like my favorite thing. And I took it shopping the other day and put my money in it. That's how sad I'm getting. Brilliant. So I think that might be my favorite bit of kit. <laughs> Your favorite race you've ever done? Offers Dyke every time. Yeah, it's a good route. Um, road or trail? Silly question, but road or trail? Mm, trail, trail. <laughs> okay. Favorite place that you've run? Doesn't have to be in a race, but a favorite place that you run it. Um, oh, I ran through, um, is it Arundel um, on the Monarch's Way? And that oh, was. I, um, I thought you were talking about Frozen or something there, Arundel. Right? <laughs> <Wow. laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> I was expecting to see them. Uh, it has got a castle and everything, though. There you go. It's frozen, um, isn't it? And it's. It's really stunning there, really, really stunning. And um, so that was a favourite, but I think my all-time favourite might be Anglesey. I don't know if you've been to Anglesey and done any running. I there. was, I was, I was based on HMS Anglesey uh, fishery oh, detection wow. ship, so I often went to Holyhead. So I know Anglesey very well, and yeah, so I, and stuff. I ran the entire loop, the coastal yeah. loop, um, and that's that is, yeah, yeah, because so, yeah, it's a race as well, isn't stunning. it? Is a race, is it the Ring, Ring of Fire? Fire yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've not done the race. Um, okay, Marmite, love it or no? Oh, oh, no. I'll be a no then. No. <laughs> How many pairs <laughs> of five-finger shoes do you have? One pair. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. You don't need more than one. You really um, don't. <laughs> your favourite hot drink? Coffee. Do you have a? Do you drink alcohol? Oh yes. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite? This is an extra question. What's your favourite alcoholic drink? I like Captain Morgan's spiced straight ice cubes. Good, good choice. Um, if you could do any race in the world, money uh, doesn't matter. Okay, which one would it be? I don't think I have a preference. Um, Offers die every day. Okay. <laughs> um, have you made it into the world of TikTok yet? Oh God, yes. My daughter is um, massive on that and she did make me do a video, but I do not have my own account. I will not be making my own account. <laughs> You'll not see me running and singing on the trails. <laughs> That's a shame. So what's next for you then, Vic? What is the next uh, race and your next adventure? That's not a race. Oh, okay. So in January, I'm going to uh, do the accumulator, which um, should be fun and interesting. Um, so that's my non-race thing, I guess. So that's running every day and you do the daily amount of that day, is that right? Yeah. So on the 1st, I run the 1st um, and on the 31st, I'll be running 
31 miles. So it'll be fine the first two weeks, won't it? And then it will kind of be like, okay, my legs are tired now and I've got to run an ultra every single day. It's about 400 and something miles, I think you do. Yeah, if it you is. Stick, have... If you stick to the daily mileage, not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, I think we've got lockdown coming. Well, we definitely yes, have lockdown have, coming yeah. again in Wales. So um, that'll be perfect for me, won't it? So that, that's going to be great. Um, yeah. So that will just be my month. That will be what I'm doing. And then obviously, um, we've talked about long last. That's going to be my big race next year. I'll spend the whole year training for it. I like to focus on one thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, it'll be that. Excellent. Um, do you have any tips for beginner runners? Just be kind to yourself. I think um, when you run, you don't know, uh, you know, you can't compare things the way that maybe we do now. Um, so sort of when you're a more experienced runner, you say, oh, you know, I'm going to go out and run this amount. And I, I know how that's going to weigh up. I know what to expect. But when you first start running, you don't know what to expect. So you try to compare against other people, which is the worst thing you can possibly do. So just be kind to yourself. Don't, you know, don't compare yourself to someone else. Don't go out and say, I've got to run a nine minute mile or anything. Just enjoy it. Don't, don't go out and, you know, bust a limb or anything. Just enjoy it. That, that's what it's about. And get on the trails. Stay off the road, people. <laughs> yeah, that's a good bit of advice. Uh, get, get in the countryside and stuff. It's much fun. Um, okay. And finally, how can people follow you if they want to see you? Um, do your thing. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram. Um, I think it's the Happy Runner NW for North Wales. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter, which I'm not very good at, and Facebook, all the Happy Runner NW. Brilliant. I'll I'll, I'll chuck the links into the into the description anyway, so um, people can follow you. Cool. Um, we'll have a, a a little end chat afterwards, but um, for now. Thank you very much, um, Vic. It's been an absolute Thank pleasure you. on my behalf. Um, like I said, we go off on tangents here. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we've sort of hit the sort of time anyway. Um, but thank you very much for coming on uh, and giving up your time. I know you've um, been quite busy recently, obviously, with um, work and what have you, but um, really is appreciated. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. So that was Vic Owens. Um, what a wonderful lady, uh, fantastic runner, um, and quite inspirational to us. You know, it's just a short period of time of running. She's gone from zero to hero pretty quickly. Um, love that chat. It's so down to earth, um, and that's what I like doing. Um, I'll put her links in the in the description. Please give her a follow. Check her out. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, if you can, subscribe, like, all that sort of stuff. Um, get get this podcast going. But thank you for listening to the third uh, the third series first episode. I will uh, catch you next time on If My Feet Could Talk. <laughs>